G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Coming up today on The Story. I was out at a Gideon's meeting one night and a good friend of mine, Alan Jensen, said to me, he said, hey, what are you doing now, George? I said, I'm looking at another opportunity to do something different. He said to me, if I was a young fellow today, he said, I'd milk cows and make cheese. And I decided to revamp the old dairy and we decided to build a cheese factory and start producing this cheese. The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Although George Ronalds only ever moved five kilometres from his birthplace in Jindavik, West Gippsland, his life has been characterised by some very big moves. He was a farmer and earth mover, who then turned into a world champion cheesemaker. We'll find out how it all came about today as George from Jindavik has a chat with Eric Scatterbone. George Ronalds, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Eric. A great privilege to be with you. Glad to have you with us. And we should say that George from Jindavik is the title of your book about your life story. Is that right? (laughs) That's right, yes. Okay. And the full title is George from Jindavik, From Small Town Farmer to Big Cheese. So we're going to find out how you transformed from being a small town farmer to being a big cheese. And where should we get started? Back in 1937 when you were born in the Jindavik area? Is that a good place to start? It's a good place. I don't remember much about it, but that's that's correct. <laughs> well, we know you haven't moved a whole lot, so it had to be somewhere in that area. Is that right? <laughs> that's right. All right. So what was life like growing up in the Genevic area? Well, very, very different than what it is today. I mean, we grew up on a dairy farm, mm-hmm. and of course the Second World War started then, and after that I left home at the age of 15 mm-hmm. and left school and came home to milk cows on the farm. So very, very different what it is today you know you made your own fun there was no no television of course and very few phones telephones so very different yeah and you from the very beginning had a passion for earth moving machinery and mechanics in general is that right well yes mechanics problem my earth moving started after we after i left school and after i milked cows for a while so that's a different story i milked cows in the home farm for after we left school end of form three mm-hmm. i figured we would you know learn enough time to go home and then my grandfather died in 1955, and he had quite a big estate. And he left a 500-acre patch of bush, all bush solid trees, to his brothers. They didn't want it. So Dave, my brother, and I, we, we bought it off the estate, the 500 acres. That was, I was 17 and Dave was 16, so that was a pretty big achievement for a couple of young fellas in those days. And then we bought a bulldozer mm-hmm. and set about clearing the land. Okay, and we should back up and find out what role did faith play in your life growing up? Well, I was very privileged to be brought up in a Christian home. Mum and Dad, my grandparents, and some of their earlier siblings, they were, they were to the Lord, knew the Lord as their Saviour. And we were part of a little gospel chapel. We used to go there about two or three k's away from home here. And it was one Sunday night, the speaker down there, Mr. Hugh McNeely, he had a gospel message. He happened to be staying at our place. Mm-hmm. And he came home, and that night, I can still remember, on the 23rd of January, 
49, I was 12 years old, he came around us before I went to bed and he just said to George, have you ever committed your life to Christ? And I said, oh, I don't know, I think so. He said, would you like to do it right here and now? And I can still remember getting down on my knees with tears in my eyes, asking the Lord Jesus to come into my life, and it was as real to me then as it is today. Wow. And that was the kind of the foundation for your life going forward. That's where it started. That's mm-hmm. where from there on the decision would, you know, that's, that, that was the biggest decision to change the direction of my life, not only here on this earth, but where I would spend eternity. Amen. And going forward, you had the opportunity to get a Alice Chalmers bulldozer. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. We bought a HD9 Alice Chalmers with a GM motor in it. Anybody that knows motors knows the GM. Mm-hmm. And why was that such a special machinery for you? Well, one of my good friends, who he, he, he had Alice Chalmers, and that's how we came to buy it, because he knew a lot about them. So uh, we ended up with, with his HD9, and I've still got it today, and it still goes well. Press the starter, and away it goes. You still have it to this very day. Absolutely. Now, you and I have chatted before. I'm from Wisconsin, the dairy state which plays a role in your story later on, but also Alice Chalmers is from West Alice, not far from where I've been born and raised, so kind of partial to your story for many reasons here, but Alice Chalmers is a big part of uh, Wisconsin, where I'm from, southeastern Wisconsin. So glad to hear it's still going to this day. That's really cool. And I should say that you got involved in landscape and earth moving. How did that all come about? Well, like I said, we we bought the bulldozer to clear the land. That's how we cleared all our land, and, and I loved driving bulldozers. Mm-hmm. And as an extension of that, when we cleared the land, I built a dairy farm on it and milked cows, but I got into a lot of contracting, because in those days, this is the 1960s, there was a lot of bush to clear around the place, and, and we cleared a lot of bush by contract, mm-hmm. and uh, also put dams in, and that led me on to an earth-moving land clearing career for a number of years and I ended up with power scrapers and done shire work and, and most of the big dams around the area here I used to put them at, at Webco, Lee Webco scrapers and, and uh, I enjoyed that era, it was a great era of my life. So a lot of earth moving going on and I understand that one of your role models was Robert Gilmore Letourneau. Tell us about him. He was, he was operating from from the 1940s, in fact, during this Second World War, his machine, we shifted 70% of the dirt that was shifted across the globe oh, wow. to his machines. And he he made the first rubber tire scrape. It was a very big earth move. And the machinery he made in, 19, in the 1960s, his biggest scrapers, moved 360 cubic yard, yards of dirt with each machine. The biggest scraper today is about 90 yards. So that gives you some idea of the size of his machine. He developed an electric wheel and, and he was a Christian businessman and he was just a, right in the early teens I could know about him and I used to get his magazine so he's just a role model I learned to follow through the years and and uh, so I ended up having only two of his type scrapers. Yeah, I think I heard somewhere that he would live on about 5 to 10% of his income and the rest he all gave to charities. Christian Correct. Christian ministries. Correct. And also your work ethic was based on your Protestant work ethic? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Work started early in the, early in the morning, first you out bulldozing that, and, you know, you'd, you'd start five or six o'clock in the morning, and you're going through till dark when you're busy. No, very, a lot of work, a lot of work. It never hurt me. 
Yeah, so can you tell us any stories about uh, any adventures you had while moving Earth and all that kind of thing? <laughs> How long do you want to keep going? <laughs> <laughs> well, you told me there's one about a rooster I, I've got to hear. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, this is an interesting story. In the early days, the, the days weren't big enough to push, us, push the stumps out, so we used an, an sawmill logging people had gone through ahead of us, mm-hmm. and there was an enormous number of stumps in the property we were clearing. And the only way to get rid of them was to blow them out with jelly knife, and then they'd split them up, and, and you could push them out with a dozer. Uh-huh. And my uncle had a property oh, about four or five k's away from where we were working out in West Olympic there, and he said to my brother Dave and I, he said, I've got this well with a big slab of concrete on top of it, and I want to fill it in. Do you think you could blow it up for us? Blow the concrete top up? Mm-hmm. So we'd never tried this before. We'd heard a cut, two or three sticks of jelly knife covered in mud would always blow down. So we've got this jelly knife and put it on top of this big concrete slab of uh, about uh, nine inches thick it was, and, and, uh, and lit the fuse and covered it all with mud. And we stood back at a respectable distance. And the chair farmer, John Roxby, was there with us. We knew him pretty well. And, and we stood back and looked, as we were watching the fuse burn, he had prize roosters. And a rooster come walking around the corner <laughs> and saw the fuse burning. Well, he couldn't contain himself. The rooster he just followed that fuse along. <laughs> and, and John was sitting there waving his hands, waving his hands around, trying to distract the rooster. But of course, he wasn't going to be distracted. He was going what well, this thing was running on the ground. Next minute, there's a huge explosion and feathers and everything flying up in the air. And, and the last thing we heard was the saw was quack, quack, and the rooster flapping his wings going down the paddock in great distress. <laughs> we had about 10 metres. <laughs> we often tell that story, and it's very funny. Wow. But a, lot of story, a lot of stories in those days, Eric. That yeah. The things we couldn't do today, there was no, the, the rules and regulations were very lax, you would say very lax compared to today. We was able to, like I would say, if we wanted to push a tree over, we pushed it over. If we wanted to dig a hole, we dug a hole. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scadabo is chatting with George Ronalds from Jindavik, West Gippsland. As we've been hearing, George was a successful farmer and earth mover. Next, we'll hear how he then turns into a world champion cheesemaker. All that and more when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scadabo chatting with world champion cheesemaker George Ronalds from Jindavik, West Gippsland. The title of the book that was written about his life is George from Jindavik, From Small Town Farmer to Big Cheese. Before the break, we heard about George's farming and earth-moving years. Now we're going to find out how he went into the cheese-making business and about his involvement in Youth for Christ or YFC. I've always loved the work of youth. In fact, Youth for Christ started in Melbourne mm-hmm. in the late 50s and we used to take, when I was 18, we used to take groups of young people down there to YFC. And then the opportunity came for us to start it here in Warwick in 1963. Mm-hmm. 
uh, one of the leaders from the USA came out here and we decided to start Wives in Warrigal in 1963, which we did. There was about four or four or five of us young fellas. We formed a committee and uh, it's still going there today, but we virtually saw hundreds and hundreds of kids make decisions for lawyers throughout wow. the industry. The Lord blessed it greatly. You know, we used to, Wally Kenny, my best mate and I, we used to take a group of kids up to bush sometimes. We used to love our four-wheel drive and, and we'd take a limited number of kids up to bush and camp. And another thing, we used to have a camp at Raymond Island. That's an island off, off Bensdale up in the Gippsland Lakes. Mm-hmm. And we'd have anything up to 120 kids there. A long week in June. Every year we had a permanent booking up there for about 20 years and and uh, you know a place where kids can have fun and join together and fellowship and more sports and and you know, the Lord blessed it greatly. Mm. Now, why was that so important to you? Well, it was important enough because you're building the lives of young people. Mm-hmm. And if you and I'm still interested in YFC today, if you can build in the lives of young people and get them to the Lord while they're young in years, and, mm-hmm. and then hopefully you've got a lifetime of ministry with them. And, no better work than investing time with young people, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Okay, now getting back to your business career, things were going pretty well, but then uh, the earth-moving business kind of slowed down. Is that right? Well, go back to the early yeah, early 80s, and we'd put dams in, in a lot of the big gullies all around the place, irrigation dams, and, and the big... A lot of the road works were getting done, and I was looking for another opportunity. I had a young family. Mm-hmm. Andrew was 10. He was my oldest boy, and, and three girls below that. And I was out at a Gideon's meeting one night, and a good friend of mine, Alan Jensen, said to me, he said, hey, what are you doing now, George? I said, I'm looking at another opportunity to do something different. I said, why? He said, well, he said to me, if I was a young fellow today, he said, I milk cows and make cheese. I said, gosh, why do you say that? He said, well, I believe that the immigrants coming in from Australia are going to give Australia a new taste for different types of cheeses. I said, what do you mean? He said, brie and camembert type cheese. I said, what's that? Because we only knew cheddar cheese. Mm-hmm. These are all we ever knew in the, in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. We made a kind of long story short. We ended up forming a partnership with his son who had gone through university and knew how to do make cheese. Very smart man he was. And uh, I decided to, my wife and I, my wife was in this as much as I was, decided to revamp the old dairy, which had closed down by the stage out there, made a herringbone, and we decided to build a cheese factory and start producing this cheese. So, uh, wow. I mean, that's quite a change from earth moving to cheese making. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Where did you get the confidence that it would work? What confidence? You didn't have confidence? (laughs) (laughs) On my office wall, I'm looking at it now, Eric, I've got a verse of scripture that has been my motto all the way along. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Mm. I I tell you what, that's been my motto right from the very start. And and, uh, when I look back, was only the Lord's wisdom and guidance because otherwise there's no way I could do any of this on my own, mm-hmm. no way at all. And I believed, we believed that he was in it. Mm-hmm. And boy, he sure led us through some pretty tough times to start with. Because bear in mind, in those days, you've got no computers yeah, or anything like that. And, and the knowledge you did skip out of a book. And the French, had they had all the knowledge about this sort of thing. And, 
and they weren't very cooperative when it came to asking them about questions about making cheese. So we virtually had to learn the whole thing ourselves. And, and we, my wife, my kid, you know, we built the factory. Mm-hmm. And between us, I learned how to uh, stainless steel well. We done most of the fabrication ourselves in the factory, and we got it going. And I understand that in 1991, you had a significant achievement. Yeah, we after a lot of trial and error, start with and every we broke. We decided to dissolve the partnership and left left my wife and myself in the business on our own. Mm-hmm. And in 1991, the business was just starting to get underway. And I saw an advertisement in the Weekly Times about the Royal Melbourne Show looking for people to enter into competition there, for cheese competition. And I said to Craig Senior Factory Manager, we ought to put some cheese in there. And he laughed at me. I said, no, I'm serious. So we put a wheel of cheese in and forgot all about it. He laughed at you? Why did he and, laugh? Uh, well, he thought we would have hope. Just, just uh, you know, us little people from, from Gippsland, you know, small manufacturers like us. Uh-huh. And anyway, we got an invitation to attend their dinner, the Royal Melbourne Show dinner, Craig and I. I thought, God, anyway, we went down there and never seen such so much silverware in our life. Or, <laughs> out in front of us. And anyway, we ended up winning the champion uh, white mold cheese that day. That wow. Great of achievement. Fantastic. The very first time you entered. Yes. Yeah. Wow. But that was just the start of things. Is that right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it was. It was the Lord. The Lord blessed incredibly. I don't know why he did, but he did anyway. Well, take us to how things developed then. Well, as far as the uh, the awards go, we ended up gaining across Australia. There was dairy industry awards, and we won a lot of gold medals across Australia with our cheese. And then in 1996, we were invited to put our cheese in the World's Cheese Contest in Wisconsin, which you mentioned. That's right. Wisconsin, my home state, the dairy state. That is the big cheese show in the world. That's right. We're affectionately known as Cheeseheads. I, I do have a cheesehead right here in the room, a big styrofoam <laughs> cheesehead that we wear when we cheer for our gridiron team. But I digress. Get back to you. <laughs> so anyway, we, we ended up put a brew in, and again, we didn't think much too much about it. it was Australia Dairy Corporation sponsored us and sent us across there. And Andrew, my son, he just joined the company. I still remember this day. He ran me, I was on the way down with a load of cheese in the van to Melbourne. He said, Dad, you better pull over. I said, what's, what's the matter? When I pulled over, he said, Dad, we've just won the champion white mold cheese in the world. I said, what? Wow, wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. So that was 1996. Now, did you make like some super special cheese, or was this just your regular cheese? No, just take it off the shelf. <laughs> no, just take it off the shelf. <laughs> just grabbed it. Why, why do you think your cheese was so special? Well, I didn't think it was that special. But anyway, it um, well, at that stage, we were the only white mold cheese factory in Australia that specialises in white mold. A lot of quite other companies made it, but and I think the fact that we had our own milk and we had a very special team of cheese makers that made the cheese, that made a big difference too. Mm. My God, I've never made cheese in my life. I've always been a manufacturer. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we learned our own cheese making recipe and that here and but uh, no, I don't know why. Anyway, we, so, we achieved it. So you had to be humble and listen to others who knew more about this. Well, I always had a motto in my business: that no one man can do the lot. But mm-hmm. make sure that you. I remember listening to Lindsay Fox from Australian Dairy Corporation. He's a well-known businessman. He said, "I can't do everything myself," but he said, "I must make sure I pay the best man 
to do the job that I can't do. And that's what I've always done. Make sure I pay mm-hmm. somebody else to do what I can't do. But make sure you keep it on all the time too. Mm-hmm. So teamwork is a big part of what you're all about. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. In fact, we went on to win the, win the World Cheese Award in not 2002. We won the champion cheese of the world over every, with everything. Wow. And, that, and, and they wanted to put a cheesemaker's name on our cheese. I said, no, there is no cheesemaker. I said, it's the cheesemaking team. So it was a team effort. Yeah, yeah. So you won it all. Yep, that's right. Yeah. What they done is every every it was, it was a contest done every second year, mm-hmm. and they had about eight or ten different categories, and you got a champion of every category, and then they put all the categories together for a grand champion, mm-hmm. and that's what we won in two thousand and two. Wow! Did you ever think that would happen? Oh no, not <laughs> no way, not for us. Couldn't be possible. But anyway, there we are. Wow. So you had to accept the award in Wisconsin. Anything exciting happen in the dairy state? Well, it was incredible, really, Eric. I mean, my wife and I, we, we were sitting about three parts of the way down the, down in the hall, darkened hall, and when the, when the announcement came that Jimmy Cheese had won the, won the competition, I mean, we knew before, and of course, otherwise it wouldn't have been there. You know, the whole, the whole hall just stood on their feet while Bev and I walked to the front up on the platform. It was a pretty moving experience, really. Well, I yeah. slapped you all the way up. And, but the best thing about it was it gave me an opportunity to thank the team at home. Mm-hmm. And most of all, thank the Lord for his goodness to us. Amen. So looking back on your successful careers, both of them, both in earth moving and in making cheese, how has the Lord played a role in all of that? Well, as I say, if it wasn't for that verse of script up there, call under me, calling under him, I mean, it's a matter of, keep in touch with the Lord. Lord, what do you, what do you want me to do? And, mm-hmm. and uh, the Lord's been my guide all, all the way through it. I mean, how else, how else could a farmer with, with very little education, an earth mover, how else could you do what's, what's happening in my life? Because the Lord doing it, not me. Wow, yeah, and it's just been tremendous, the success you've had. Now bring us up to date. You are no longer a cheesemaker, is that right? No, we sold the business back in 2005. The Menorah Foods, who were our biggest wholesaler, they, they were probably taking two-thirds of our business in 2005. We had 75 employees on wow. and buying milk in by the tanker load from other farmers. And they came to me one day and they said, we want to buy into your business to just cement our relationship together because it was a handshake agreement in those days, no paperwork. Mm-hmm. And I just made the comment, all or nothing, just a throwaway line, you know, all or nothing, not no intensive selling and Andrew our son we, I told him and he said dad you've got to realise in business he said selling's always got to be a part of us he said there's a time when you, sometimes you, you've got to do that I said oh yeah okay anyway they came back to us a couple of months later and said how much is all and you know that just threw me completely it really did oh you didn't uh, expect them to take you up on your offer no to start with I said no Mm-hmm. But then when they came back to me a couple of months later, and said, how much is all? I said, oh, I've got no idea. So we negotiated with them and ended up selling in 2005 to Menorah Foods. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's still going today. The business, they kept it for about five or six years. And they ended up selling it because they could never get hold of the fact that manufacturing, they were used to wholesaling. Wholesaling and manufacturing two very different businesses. Mm-hmm. So they ended up selling it to... Lactillus, which is the biggest dairy company in the world, if you look them up, and, and Mr. Gould will tell you in 2015, 
They have 76,000 employees and a $15 billion turnover. So they've got me on. They're still making cheese out there now, which is about five k's away from where I am now. Okay, so now you're no longer in the cheese-making business. What are you doing these days? Well, I've, I've still got a farm. Yes, I've spent my time. I've got an A40-foot workshop, which I've spent, got a quite a few toys now I play with. In fact, at present, I'm, I'm reconditioning a, a go-kart for my grandkids, so there you are. Oh, there you okay. go. Keeping busy, having fun with the grandkids. Oh, yeah, I love, love, I love playing with a bit of machinery and toys and that. We've got a big garden, lovely garden here, so I've spent quite a bit of time on that. Great. Well, unfortunately, our time is running out. Any last things you'd like to share with us today about your career and your life story? No, I don't think so, Eric. I mean, if the Lord calls you to do something, do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of unknown things ahead of you, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very satisfying life following the Lord's leading and guys. I mean, as many times that I haven't followed it, but it, uh, it's exciting to be a Christian. And the most exciting thing is to look back and see where the Lord's led you. Times you wasn't wide wide enough to do any stills. But look back and see his hand, and it's been incredible. But I feel incredibly privileged. And I've got eight grandkids now. The youngest is 15 months. So, boy, I'm enjoying them, I tell you. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your life story with us today. No, it's great. been a great pleasure, and God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, it was great to hear about the wonderful success that George Ronalds has had over the years, first as a farmer and earth mover, and then as a world champion cheesemaker. And as we heard, George took a tremendous risk by changing his business at midlife, even though he was pretty apprehensive at first, but he felt the Lord was leading him. As he shared, he had a plaque on the wall of his office with a Bible verse that has always been his guide. It's from Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3, where the Lord says, Call out to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. George didn't know what to expect when he started his cheese making business, but he trusted in the Lord for guidance and direction. It's a perfect example for all of us really on how to make big decisions in life by trusting God for what direction to take. We just need to call out to him and he will show us things we do not know. And as the old saying goes, we don't know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. Well, thanks for joining us for George Ronald sharing his life journey. As we heard, George's role model in business was the legendary R.G. Letourneau, who came to be known as God's businessman in the 1950s and 60s. Now, through a series of connections, Eric Scadabo was able to track down R.G.'s grandson in the United States, and he's happy to share his grandfather's story next time. So until then... I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. It was a pledge in his church, and it was something he did every year. And he knew that his employees knew that he didn't have a lot of money left, but here he is pledging an amount of money for missions through his church. But he said God made it very clear to him he needed to do it. And the next day... His company was offered a contract to help build what is known today as the Hoover Dam. R.G. Letourneau was one of the most successful Christian businessmen of all time. He was an inventor, entrepreneur and philanthropist who gave away up to 90% of his income to spread the gospel. So how did a sixth grade dropout go on to have factories on four continents and have more than 300 patents to his name? We'll find out as Mark Letourneau shares his grandfather's story next time. 
the story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.